to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, crisis management, COVID, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free, reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find. Uh, and we'll see about getting you on the show. It is that time again for Regina's Roundup. <laughs> we come up with a name. We've, we've been talking for so long. We, we should have come up with a name now. So we I think- call it R2, Regina's Roundup, right? R2. Yeah. It works. We'll have a whole branding thing for it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Regina Phelps, welcome back. Oh, Alex, it's such a great time to be back with you again. And you're wearing the red jersey because... You actually got the goal this time. Yeah, in uh, women's hockey. You know, congratulations, everybody. And congratulations for the to the uh, U.S. women's team for your silver. It's all, <laughs> it, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I know you it, didn't. I know you it's didn't. Always good, it's always good to watch the U.S. and Canada play. You know, they are the best games in hockey. I know other countries may not like that, but they are the best ones to watch. So congratulations to everybody who was in that game. You know, so... Thank you. And that's, I thought I'd wear this in their honor. And uh, you know. <laughs> not I that I'm rubbing it in or not. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are, but it's okay. It's okay. It's all good. Now, uh, Regina, we've got uh, a really diverse uh, agenda now. Now that things are changing with COVID, we're able to actually start talking about some other topics. And our first one is uh, rather interesting. It's one that I've been thinking about, but I didn't really think we'd get a chance to talk about it on the show. And uh, that's the uh, possibility of war with Russia uh, or between Russia and uh, Ukraine. Yes, indeed. And, and of course, of all the people that you interview on a regular basis, you probably thought, you know, if anybody was going to bring this topic up, it would be Regina. <laughs> 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 right. So, so, you know, it's very fascinating. So this is, this is my 40th year of being in business, right? So a really long time I've been in this craft for, you know, 40 years. And I have never in my 40 years done any planning for war, but I have a lot of large multinational corporations and um, government related type industries that I work with or companies. And um, this has been a topic that I've been working on for the last 30 days with many of them, <clears throat> either because they have already done evacuations and gotten people out or they actually have a lot of business in country in Russia or Ukraine, or in the countries bordering those nations, and are very concerned about what could happen. So because of that, I thought it would be interesting in our profession, both in crisis management, continuity planning, is to really begin to have our folks around the world think about this, not because we want it to happen or, or 
or um, or trying to be kind of um, provocative, if you will, but it is a possibility and that seems to increase on a daily basis. And there's a variety of things I thought would be important for us to sort of toss out there and, and, and discuss. And so I have kind of a short list of them that I'd like to dig into, if that's all right with you, and we can banter back and forth. Uh, the first thing that that uh, our clients are really deeply concerned about is increasing problems with supply chains. And haven't we had a lot of that yeah. with COVID, right? And so we've already got, you know, really compressed uh, supply chains, really driven a lot by the pandemic, but in particular because of China being a man- major manufacturer and shipper. So, but there's some interesting and things that I didn't know about. First of all, you probably have heard about the big uh, chip shortage around the world that's impacted car productions, computers, refrigerators, you know, everybody's got a chip in them now, right? Well, it turns out that Russia actually produces a large amount of neon and palladium, which is actually very important in chip manufacturing. But also, Ukraine does a lot of neon. So, there's already been some significant concerns in this chip industry around the world. And in fact, the White House this week got together with all the major chip providers, asking them what the heck their plans were in relationship to a possible war and further disruption of these critical earth elements. So just think of all of the businesses that use chips that are already impacted. So I think anybody that's uh, in our industry needs to really look at the supply chain impacts about chips, but also energy. Now, Canada is a big energy producer, so is the United States, but Russia is the third in the world. Uh, And so we could begin to see more price increases, supply chain disruptions of natural gas and uh, liquefied gas. Yeah, they've Uh, got a... Correct me if I'm wrong, there's a, a new pipeline. I'm not sure if it's open yet, but a new pipeline. Yes, the uh, Eastern Europe or somewhere, right? Yes, exactly. It's called Something Star, and I'm not going to remember. North Star? No, I'm not sure what it is, but yes. And there's also that other connection because so much of Europe gets their energy and gas from Russia. So there's a lot of complexities there that I think needs to be looked at and thought about when we are looking at our continuity plans and when we are looking at our crisis management related issues. And so I think those are two big ones. But then, you know, if you sort of begin to cascade that, there are others. So when you think about that overall supply chain related issues and you think about things like energy, what is that when you think about Canada and your clients up in that part of the world, do you think that that could be an impact for them? Um, Yeah, it could. Because, um, well, with COVID things and electric vehicles, things seem to be kind of moving around a little bit. People are all jumping on the electric vehicle bandwagon, but then there's, okay, well, how are we going to maintain that? Mm-hmm. Because we were trying to get off an electric electrical grid and put more wind power in and more solar power in. Mm-hmm. How do we incorporate that now If by pushing people on electric vehicles? which means we're, for now, we have to stay on the uh, existing mm-hmm. grids. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, there's lots of things that seem to be in play right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think with our oil sands uh, area too, we, right. we could supply some of our own oil, which mm-hmm. I know we do anyway, but uh, 
push comes to shove, we could probably uh, be able to uh, work something out um, where we take a bigger chunk of that production. But uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an e- economic kind of, kind of person, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that I would say to anybody that's in our industry is that they really need to look at their supply chains yet again, and not just be thinking about China in particular, but they really need to be thinking about not only Eastern Europe and Russia, but frankly, probably Europe in general, because we don't know what kind of disruptions could occur if a ground war actually breaks out in, <clears throat> in the Ukraine. I think another another part of it that's going to be so we've talked about supply chain issues. We've talked about energy being a big problem that could um, impact the world. The third one really is the economic impact. So our stock market here in the United States has been vacillating a lot since the beginning of the year. Uh, Now, what's really driving first, it was Omicron in January that really made our markets go up and down. But now it's really the fear of a ground war in Russia and Ukraine. And so I think that's another economic issue that businesses need to think about, which then also ties to the next one that everybody's concerned about is inflation. And here in the U.S., we've had the highest inflation rates um, really driven by the pandemic and driven by supply chain issues than we've had in 40 years. And are you seeing the same same in Canada? Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think when you look at that, that's another issue uh, of how uh, how companies need to really think about what their planning is. And of course, that's driving a lot of other issues, right? I don't know if you're seeing a lot of uh, wage pressures uh, and the great resignation continuing in Canada, but uh, people now are, you know, workers, which actually I, I think is great. I, m- many of my clients would probably kick me if they heard me say that out loud, but I actually am really happy to see that workers are actually in kind of the driving seat for a lot of jobs now. And if they're not getting the things that they need or want, they're just moving and going down the street because at least here in the U.S., there's signs for workers in about every profession you could imagine everywhere. Is that still going on in Canada too? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's still happening. There's a lot of roles that are coming up that, uh, you know, they're having difficulty finding. Um, I do know a, a couple of people, uh, actually, I was on a call yesterday with someone who said that for about two years, instead of getting his full pay, he was down to 80% of his normal pay. Wow. And <clears throat> he wasn't the only one. And now people are saying, okay, we're coming out of COVID. We want our payback. Yeah. So we want to go back up. And mm-hmm. if you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's starting to happen now too. If Mm -hmm. you gave something up, now you want it back. Right. Right. And I think because at least here in the U S and I think in many places around the world, there is, um, there is a lot of openings. There's a lot of possibilities and there's a lot of pressure to increase wages and certainly restore them if they had been cut. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the third thing, so uh, we've talked about the supply chain issue. We've talked about the economic impacts. The third thing that is really the wild red herring, I suppose, and I chose red, I guess, for a good reason, is what's, what's the impact of the new partnership that was announced between China and Russia mm. um, a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, that, and essentially what Russia is, I mean, what China is saying is that they're supporting not necessarily a war, but they're supporting uh, Putin and his desire to sort of bring the Ukraine back into the Russian um, family, just like China is trying to do the same thing with Taiwan. And why this is a concern 
is because of the power of those two nations in particular in the area of cyber attacks. So my clients are really concerned more than usual about cyber attacks, really looking at Russian perpetrators, Chinese perpetrators, but then other nation states that are very likely to jump on that bandwagon, like North Korea is an example, Iran, which are big. Uh, those are the, the four big ones that are basically doing a lot of damage around the world. And so many of my clients are really doubling down and really seriously looking at <clears throat> ways that they can either restrict any kind of traffic coming from those areas or how they might monitor it. Uh, plus just increasing their, their look at cyber events. And if you look at, for example, what's going on right now in uh, Ukraine, there's, a, there's been like five or six gigantic cyber attacks taking down the central bank, taking down regular banks, impacting oil production, impacting utilities. And that's all just happened in a couple of weeks. Um, there's a lot of effort on the part of the uh, international community to work with Ukraine to help them in these cyber attacks. And what's actually been really actually good about that in some way, which sounds kind of strange, but the Ukraine, uh, they are really um, experts and they have really been fighting off Russian cyber attacks for some time. So they're working really closely with other countries around the world and sharing their knowledge and expertise in addition to receiving help from other countries in an effort to really fight these off. But this is another reminder for all of our colleagues in this work, that uh, there's a lot of vulnerabilities there. And when a nation states um, begin to focus on your business, your area, your uh, um, uh, line of work, et cetera, there isn't much that, that can stop them unless you are really uber prepared. And so it's a great opportunity to think about what's going on in your organization as far as cybersecurity. So that's a significant issue. Have you heard much about that in relationship to Canada and cybersecurity in relationship to a, a war in Europe? Well, the, <clears throat> the thing with Canada is, and I don't know if anyone knows this, but Canada has the largest Ukraine population outside of Ukraine. Really? So, yes, we do. Just like um, oh. it still is. But even in Finland, we have the largest Finn population outside of Finland. And I think there are other countries, but they're the two that come to mind right off the bat. Wow. So with the incidents, the cyber incidents and the, the ground, potential ground war in Ukraine, mm -hmm. people are treading lightly here mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. because we have such a large population. Um, uh, the last number I heard was up to a million and a half people. So you could uh, actually be more of a target. Canada could be more of a target, perhaps. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. And that's the reason why um, people are treading lightly. Because mm -hmm. if something happens in Ukraine, it can funnel over here very quickly mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. people over here would obviously support, um, you know, especially Ukrainian people, of course, would support sure. Ukraine if something happens. Sure. So it does put a target on anything that happens here. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that, that is now um, part of the discussion that's going on is how do we manage that? You know, we have Canadian citizens that have been here for generations and new people that all have Ukrainian background. Mm -hmm. If something happens in Ukraine, that's going to impact us. There's no way it couldn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, people in business, people you know, in, in different areas of you know um, the job market type thing, and, and uh, with the um, increase in cyber attacks too, you know, mm -hmm. then we 
um, be impacted by that as well. Mm-hmm. And so that everyone's trading lightly right now when it mm-hmm. comes to that. Interesting. Well, I think the the thing I would really um, ask all of our colleagues uh, to really, really stop and think about is that many people around the world may think, well, yeah, it'd be really awful if there was a ground war that happened in Ukraine and, you know, the loss of life and all of that. But I also would like them to just extend into really looking at their continuity plans uh, and really asking all of our colleagues to really think about supply chain related, related issues, especially chip and energy related issues, any kind of economic impacts to their business and triple down on really looking at cybersecurity because I could easily see that if a groundwork happens that what could, uh, one of the first responses that you might see is a major series of cyber attacks that might go to targeted places around the world. And for example, like an AWS, you know, Amazon um, uh, Web Services, which is now like the number one cloud provider, <clears throat> at least here in the United States, I don't know about Canada, they would be a great target. Uh, to yep. take down a lot of companies and uh, U.S. government agencies that store their um, data uh, on the cloud. So I think there's a lot of things that people should be thinking about in relationship to this ground war. Yeah, I, I, uh, the last uh, few years, they've been saying that the next war won't be fought with a bullet. It'll be fought with a computer. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, um, and, and it's real because we are seeing instances of that now from mm-hmm. Russia and China and Iran and North Korea and, you know, um, that prince in Nigeria who has money for me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> so on that note, we've come to the end of our segment with Regina Feltz, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Defeat the Chaos with Corey Harris and Julie Traxler hits on topics every week that affect small business owners across this country. They provide insights that show entrepreneurs how to reduce stress, wear fewer hats, and work shorter hours. Take your business from being owner-dependent and stagnant to growth-ready and process-driven every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. It's uh, that time again for Regina's Roundup. Regina, we uh, talked about war in our first segment and cyber and what we need to consider. Um, let's touch base on a familiar subject, COVID. Mm. Where are we uh, right now? COVID, where are we right now? Oh, gosh. Isn't it like the whiplash of all times? Here we are in, <laughs> in year, year three, year three. Um, I just want to talk, uh, just show you a few slides because it's easier to sort of start with that. <clears throat> so let me do that. Uh, and then I want to talk about a variety of things. And so this is our, uh, this is as of this morning. This is, uh, and again, our recording this on the 18th, I believe, is our date. Um, wow, we've got, like the rest of the world, had the most amazing spike with Omicron. Uh, and it is it, not only was it so dramatic in its rise, it's been so dramatic in its decline. But here in the United States, because we have unfortunately been overachievers, as you well know, in the category of cases and deaths in COVID, we still have a lot going on, although um, although the rest of uh, many of the people in this country are, have, want to move on. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But well, I, to be honest with you, based on, on, uh, on Omicron is, and, and looking also at natural or acquired immunity from infection and the amount of vaccines, it's not very helpful so much to look at case numbers as the only really um, idea of what's going on. I generally focus all of my attention on hospitalizations and then I look at deaths. But cases are some indicator that, you know, down the road within 10 days or so, you could see a rise in hospitalizations. As you can still see, we have a lot of people in the hospital. Uh, so you have to add up those two numbers on this slide. We have 78,000 people as of today, 78,213 that are in acute care facilities. But we have an additional, so do the math on that, 14,824 people in ICUs. Uh, so that's still a large number of people. I mean, it got up to 160,000 at one point with Omicron at, at the top. Uh, and we're still having around 2,300 deaths a day. So we have still a lot going on in relationship to um, the pandemic. Um, this is just an idea of where we are. So if you're listening to us on the radio, you're not going to see this particular slide, but uh, this is actually a really great indication. And this is primarily looking at cases. And so you can still see here in the United States, even though we have a large number of declines across the country, we are very known for having pockets that really light up. And as you can see right now here in the U.S., the case counts are really high in West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, uh, North Carolina, still in the South, and Florida, uh, and Alaska, and of course, Texas. And then, of course, up your neighbors, uh, you know, Montana as well as uh, North Dakota. Uh, those uh, areas, by the way, um, all have something else in common and they are more uh, conservative leaning. Uh, I just was, I, one of the slides I didn't build, but I, I, um, I'll just share with you is that the sheer number of cases and deaths in the uh, more uh, conservative parts of the United States, often referred to as Trump voters, is astronomically much higher than the more liberal leaning population of the United States. And it's reflected 
when you see the cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have do you have a do you have a, a similar yes. analogy yeah, to it, Canada? It, it happens the same way here. The more conservative areas, uh, like the province of Alberta, um, the western part, I, not necessarily British Columbia, but uh, definitely Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba tend to lean more towards. Uh, the conservative side, and especially Alberta, had a huge uh, uptick and death rate, you know, mm-hmm. in hospitalizations. You know, it mm-hmm. was it was terrible out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the things you're hearing, and um, you know, the, so those kind of areas did. Where the province I'm in, even though we have a conservative premier, um, a lot of the people still tend to lean more on the liberal side of things. And even though we had high death rates, there was also a higher level of people getting their shots you can definitely see it if there's a map that exists for Canada you would you would see those things here mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting um, another another way that I again as I mentioned I like to look at hospitalizations primarily and then and then subsequently the deaths but this uh, map of the United States and again if you're listening on the radio <clears throat> all those states that I mentioned which primarily looking at Texas Oklahoma you know Missouri Mississippi New Orleans Florida uh, you know, and you know West Virginia North Carolina South Carolina that's where all the hospitalizations are in the United States pretty much. And again, those are the more conservative leaning, less vaccinated parts of the country. And they have been uh, under severe pressure from a healthcare perspective now for some time. Uh, and I'll talk more about that in our last segment about the long-term impacts, but there's a lot of hospitalizations still here and that's a huge concern. The last thing I, I thought I would wanna share with you is slides and then we'll talk about a few other things and then I wanna hear what's happening in Canada. Um, is that to give you a sense of what's going on about transmission and the impact of vaccines. So this is a slide that had, uh, and this is actually the countries right now that have the highest uh, number of cases. I have concluded the U.S. So you can see the kind of the difference here. Right now, interestingly enough, Denmark is on fire. Oh my gosh. The Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, uh, Hong Kong. Oh my gosh. Um, unbelievable number of cases there right now. But and this is based on looking at the only way to really evaluate what's going on in a country is look at it by pop- population size. And you have to make everybody boil, boil down the same. Right. So most epidemiologists look at the number of cases per 100,000 and the number of deaths per 100,000 residents. So in the U.S. right now, wow, we've dropped down to, you know, uh, 46 cases per 100,000. Like that's nothing for us. But look at these other countries, Denmark, 781 per 100,000. Netherlands, 665 people per 100,000. Norway, 331. Sweden, 150. South Africa, four. (laughs) In Hong Kong, they don't even, uh, they've only had 25,000 cases in Hong Kong for the last two years. And Hong Kong is really, you know, has millions of people and they're really tightly- Packed together. You know, packed together. Right. And what's interesting enough is Hong Kong's only had 221 deaths. Um, but right now, and I'll talk about that in a second, they're on fire. So, uh, but then if you look at the deaths, so that's where the cases are right now as of yesterday. But on the deaths, the uh, United States is 0.72 per 100,000. So look at the number of cases we have and look at our death rate. 
very high when you have 46 cases per 100,000. But then you look at Denmark, 781 cases per 100,000, and their death rate is 0.5. And then you look at the Netherlands, it's 0.7. Norway, 0.12. Sweden, 0.45. South Africa, 0.3. And then you compare that to the vaccine intake. Uh, U.S. is only still, embarrassingly, only as 64% of our total population is fully vaccinated with two doses, and only 27% have three doses. But then you look at the other countries, Denmark, 81%, and 61% have three doses. And then the, uh, the subsequent numbers, 71% in Netherlands, they're not tracking third doses yet, 75% in Norway, and 73% in Sweden. And then South Africa, only 30% of the population is fully vaccinated, but they have also had five significant waves. So they have a very high amount of um, acquired immunity. But this, what this sort of, when you look at this chart, it really tells you that vaccines make a huge difference in uh, hospitalizations and deaths. Um, and uh, again, the idea that we've got such a huge difference between the U.S and these more vaccinated countries. Mm. Um, now, what I wanted, before I talk about some other things about what's going on in the world, I'd love to hear about Canada. Well, with Canada, it's good news when it comes to this stuff. We've, uh, we now have 85, over 85% of the population has at least had one dose. Mm -hmm. And that's right from the uh, five years old and up. So 85%, that's, that's incredible. That's amazing, I'm so jealous. Second dose is uh, just over 80%. Mm -hmm. And the third dose, uh, or the booster shot, as some people will call it, mm -hmm. is um, just ticking over 45%. There are still some groups that uh, haven't been added to that list yet for the boosters because they're mm -hmm. targeting you know, the healthcare workers and the elderly first um, and some others. And I was able to get my booster shot, so I've had that. So we're over 45% on that one. Um, across the board numbers are heading down. Deaths, hospitalizations, uh, reported cases, everything is heading down mm -hmm. uh, and has been trending down for the last uh, week-ish. You know, um, uh, So that's been amazing. Things are heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. uh, restrictions are now loosening up. So knock on wood, things are heading in the right direction here mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to, to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this a good time to talk about your Canadian protest, or should we wait? <laughs> no, we can talk about it. We we well, have I, I, we have I five have minutes to, to talk about it. <clears throat> oh yeah. So, um, and then we'll talk about the world in the last segment with some other stuff. But sure. so you know, when I I have lots of friends in Canada, I do a lot of work in Canada, and Canada is known for being the nicest people, <laughs> and um, so friendly, so polite. And so when those protests began to occur, I thought at this point, you know, the earth is going to blow up or there's going. I mean, if Canada does this, oh, my God, there's no hope for anybody. So did yeah. we just infect you from the U.S.? Did we just come up and infect you or what? What is going on, my friend? Yes, you infected us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my it, God. It, it started out like a lot of protests do in Canada. People get upset, they get in their car and they drive to their 
uh, either provincial capital or, or, or uh, national capital, which is Ottawa, and drive around the building for the weekend, toot your horns, it's peaceful. <laughs> it, uh, you know, politicians, everybody reports on it and talks to them, and you get your message across, and it's over, and everyone goes home. It's been that way for decades, and, and that's fine. You know, I, I understand it. What happened this way, uh, this time, is a small group of truckers uh, in the western side of Canada didn't like mask mandates or any mandates in, in being in place um, because of the the one specifically they mentioned is that you had to be vaccinated to get across the American border. And um, that was put in place by the Americans, not the Canadians. Yeah, that was us. It was us. We, have, we have the same thing about anyone coming back into Canada. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have to be vaccinated. But a small percentage didn't like that because mm-hmm. truckers... And in um, Canada, their vaccine rate is over 90%. So obviously, it's a very, very small group who didn't like it and wanted to protest. Well, as soon as they started heading east, um, you know, whatever it is, 10,000 miles or kilometers, I should say, uh, up here, uh, that uh, some fringe groups got involved, you know, and that's what happened. Even the crazy nut job from the my pillow guy was trying to get into the country <laughs> to support the protesters you know and things like that and some of the whack jobs on some of the quote unquote news stations were saying fox oh, no, news they apparently they were, no, they Dr. Carlson. meanwhile they had no idea what was going on and it grew you know the this fringe group uh overtook the the um the initial uh, protest mm-hmm and it became, they tried to do it in a different way mm-hmm. than what happened we saw in Washington, D.C. in January, you know, mm-hmm. last year. Our insurrection? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the insurrection. You know, they, they, they've tried different ways and they had, uh, um, what was it, uh, the people were funding the protests. Right, a big, a big GoFundMe projects, right? Or- yeah, which mm-hmm. has now all been frozen. All accounts are being frozen. Um, and there's talk of uh, those accounts now going to the businesses and oh, great. The, people, the people that have suffered because of um, these protesters, you know, hijacking downtown Ottawa, where a lot of people live and there are a lot of businesses mm-hmm. um, and, you know, but they've caused a lot of uh, problems. You know, there's, there's costs with policing and things like that. And they're thinking of refunneling all that money and putting it towards you know, now, uh, one, one of the things I do not understand is why <clears throat> why did the government and whether it's Ottawa or the provincial government or the nation, national government, why did they let that go on for so long? I was shocked that it went on for what, three weeks or something? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's uh, th- there's a there's a few things going going on. I can uh, I I anticipate some sort of a government investigation going on, um, but the federal government didn't want to get involved because Ottawa. Uh, policing, uh, the the government here doesn't manage the police. Mm -hmm. They they don't manage the police. It's the city. So the federal government was saying, you know, Ottawa police, it's up to you. Or provincial police. We have a provincial police here called um, the uh, OPP, Ontario Provincial Police. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is the same thing, but is in different parts of the, uh, the country they should all be managing it. The federal government shouldn't be because if the federal government gets involved, people automatically think army is involved. Oh, and, yeah. I think, and I think that's one reason why 
uh, the federal level didn't want to get involved until things started to impact the economy, like the, mm-hmm. the, when they were um, hampering supply chains, which we talked about earlier. When mm-hmm. that started happening and factories started <clears throat> cutting back on um, uh, shifts and you know having supply chain issues on both sides of the border, it was happening mm-hmm. in Michigan and happening here in Ontario and yeah. Alberta and Manitoba. Um, that's when uh, government finally had to step in. Uh, the Ontario Premier declared state of emergency so that police could have more powers to seize people's vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the federal government stepped in so that they could freeze some of these accounts and um, you know, arrest people, you know, gives them more temporary powers to do that. So I think that's why it took so long is because of some of the perception that if the federal government gets involved, the army is, army is involved, which mm-hmm. means you're declaring war on your own people. Mm-hmm. And they, they are doing their best to keep the army out of it. You know? And as of today, what's going on? I haven't checked the news. Is there still, I, must today, I have a live feed <laughs> right now uh, off to my side. And they are arresting uh, protesters in Ottawa. They are mm-hmm. trying to reclaim the areas that they took over and slowly push them back. And I think they're giving, they've already given people flyers saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to mm-hmm. be arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and if you have a child there, which I don't understand why you would pull your child out of school, you know, for. Right, yeah, all those little uh, jumpy castle things. I mean, what was yeah, that? That's, I mean, that's like just a party. Ridiculous. You know, why are you pulling your kids out of school for this? Um, if you've got a child and you're putting them in danger, then uh, child services um, <clears throat> will take your child um, and arrest you. Um, but we have to get your children out of harm's way. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a fear that as they get closer to some of these groups, there might be violence and there might be people that have guns. Because they have already found some of these people with guns, even machetes. So um, at one of the border crossings. So um, it's you know, kind of tense, you know, mm-hmm. and, but it all started off with just a very small group mm-hmm. who didn't like masks and it got really, it got hijacked by the nut jobs. Mm-hmm. And what's the, what's the sentiment of the, I mean, of the average, there is probably no average Canadian, like there's no average American, but is yeah. there, what's the general sentiment of the population? Are they supportive of the protests or they think they're whack jobs? <clears throat> really across the board oh. um, because a lot of people started out saying, okay, yeah, you've got your right to protest. Then when things started changing, getting out, getting out of hand, you know, desecrating war, the war memorial and things like that, then that opinion started changing mm-hmm. because we've seen, you know, through decades, people showing up at Parliament Hill or your uh, provincial capital parliament buildings protesting. Okay. Sure. Well, yeah, that's fine. You're going to be here for a couple of days. It's natural. We understand you. You know, go to it. You know, have fun. But when it stayed, that perception started changing. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we're getting uh, some of these people are getting all support from international people, like I like I mentioned the the whack job from my my pillow mm-hmm. guy. You know, um, and people, yeah, you can send me lighters all you want. I don't care. You know, <laughs> I'll just delete button. You know, <laughs> you know, the guys in that case. So. Um, when, when that started happening and then when it didn't break up after a month, uh, a month, sorry, a week, two weeks, then people started looking elsewhere going, why aren't you breaking this up? Why aren't you breaking this up? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and, and there's even people saying, you know, go and arrest them, take them away, go and arrest them and take them away. 
and you bring in the army and, and, and do this and that. It's like, well, no, you can't do that. Right, so right. right. You, we, we don't have that authority. Government does not automatically have that authority mm-hmm. to, to be able to do that. Not here in Canada. You can't, mm-hmm. We don't have a president who can veto something and just say, this is what we're doing right now. You know, we have to go through specific um, actions. Mm-hmm. And uh, they finally declared an emergency act when supply chains and people's livelihoods were being impacted. And mm-hmm. now, as we talk right now, they are moving in and starting to arrest and move uh, move things. Hopefully, it stays peaceful. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, um, because so nobody wants to to do that, and that's one reason why they're keeping the army out of it. Mm-hmm. Because if the army comes in, then it completely changes perspective. So right. Right. I think this is just another this is just another example of of in my mind of the uh, impact of the pandemic in ways that we had not foretold. Although if you look at other pandemics, there were certainly similar kinds of things. But and again, thinking about not only the pandemic related impacts, but also then uh, the idea of almost a civil war kind of issue. Right. Which I know um, we've talked about peripherally and maybe we'll talk about that next month. But the issue about the kind of work that we do for a living, continuity planning and crisis management, and that many times uh, we've never really thought probably about us having to do something in relationship to a civil disturbance in our own backyard, so to speak, of a significant nature. And I, and I, and I think, you know, if you, if you would imagine that that protest would have happened and gone on for that length of time, and everybody normally would be back at work. Of course, I know many many of my clients that I work with in Ottawa haven't been in their office since March of 2020. Mm. But if it had been in the routine time where everybody would have been there, just think about the impact to business continuity of all of those key government services, which now thankfully people are able to, for the most part, successfully do remotely. But it would have been a really different story. And so, again, it really points to the importance of the work that we do in not just the big natural disaster, but in things like disease outbreaks and civil unrest and the potential of war, as we've talked about today. Yeah, I think these uh, these recent events, uh, at least in Canada, I, I can say that's going to change some of the perspectives of uh, people in the industry, at least in this country. Mm-hmm. And it's going to uh, definitely raise the uh, awareness of some of the things we need to consider and do and put in place. Yeah. Yep. So. It's a whole new different look at your BIA, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps and we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Not enough women are talking about how they feel about their money. Lisa Chastain is on a mission to change that. If you're feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become capable, savvy, and confident with your personal finances. Listen in and hear stories from other women about how they tackled their financial challenges. Not only will you learn from industry experts, you will hear from everyday women all of the tips, tricks, and advice you need to raise your financial IQ so that you can feel free from your daily stresses with money. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Regina Phelps. Uh, Regina, so where are we in the world with regards to COVID? You know, I'll tell you, it's uh, the thing about COVID that's been so fascinating is to see how one one place lights up around the world and another part dies down. And then we're constantly just changing um, positions on the map, so to speak. Uh, The one that I find very interesting to be following right now today on February 18th is uh, Hong Kong. As I mentioned in our last segment, Hong Kong has had a very few number of cases, really, and very few deaths. But right now, as you remember, of course, China, including Hong Kong, has a zero COVID strategy. Anybody who tests positive has to be isolated, and sometimes they're actually hospitalized with uh, even pretty modest symptoms. There was a Bloomberg report and video that I saw this morning that was unbelievable, where they had hundreds hundreds of people in little tents outside of hospitals as a form of isolation. They also have the largest number of cases they've ever had, the largest number of hospitalizations. And we're not just talking people being hospitalized with mild COVID, hospitalized with serious COVID. And then uh, the concern, of course, that there will be deaths increasing as well. Interestingly enough, I was surprised that Hong Kong's vaccine rate is not very high, but also remember that the primary vaccines that uh, are used in Hong Kong are Chinese that have, have had pretty low efficacy rates to begin with, 50 and 70% of the two vaccines they use, but now have dropped exponentially in relationship to Omicron. But the stat that I saw this morning is that less than 50% of people over 60 are vaccinated in Hong Kong, which I was shocked, which really speaks to, in many cases, why they're having such a surge. The hospitalization issue is really significant there. And, and the Hong Kong government is trying to manage that issue related to how people are talking about it, what people are saying. And of course, that's going to be increasingly more challenging. The case count right now in China is still only like 100 cases a day, which of course is nothing when you have 1.7 billion people. But 
Uh, many people believe that that case count is greatly underreported. <clears throat> and we'll probably know more about that after the, um, the uh, Olympics is over. But I think uh, what you're seeing now as far as Omicron, which is blasted through, you know, North America, there's still a big surge going on in Mexico. And now the shift is in really two places. It's actually in uh, Asia. So Hong Kong, very high numbers. Singapore, very high vaccination rate, very high numbers. Thailand, Cambodia, um, all of that part of Southeastern uh, Asia is really having a significant impact right now. These As areas is, were pretty good for quite a while. Weren't they? Really good for, for a long, long time. time. Really good for a long time, which really shows you the power of Omicron. The um, Russian uh, numbers, which are quite high, and those are probably grossly underreported. Um, in fact, I just saw that they, it's very likely that they already have had a million deaths, even though I think their official death toll is 331,000. But their excess death rates in, in Russia has been extremely high. Uh, and also Ukraine. And so you're seeing these pockets uh, of Omicron nestling in and blasting up. But also Denmark, Sweden, Norway, as I showed you earlier on those slides, are also having very high numbers, but they have very high vaccination. And so I think what you're seeing is that Omicron is blasting through the world. Uh, right now, it's the, it, that's the 100% of all, vac of all viruses that have been sequenced in the United States. 100% of them are Omicron. It's blasted Delta out of the map. So I think what we're seeing now is that we're going to see Omicron try and find every person possible to infect. And then the question next is, what happens after that? And mm -hmm. so now, of course, here in the U.S., I don't know about Canada, but uh, all of the governors pretty much are just, even though we still have, you know, cases in a lot of different places, there is just an incredible amount of releasing of restrictions. So yeah. here in California, you're seeing that, aren't you as well? Yes. Yeah. Here in California, a couple of days ago, the, um, the um, governor uh, Newsom just announced that we're moving to an endemic um, strategy, right? Which we're not endemic at all. Just to remind everybody, endemic means that we have a predictable number of cases that is not impacting healthcare systems. That's not what we have here in the U.S. But everybody's moving in that direction. Face uh, masks being released uh, as far as mandates. Uh, there's now, well, who needs a vaccine mandate? Because we, you know, we're, we're, it's, all, it's all good. So I'm concerned about what's going to happen uh, because as long as you have transmission, you have the possibility of new variants. And there's usually a new variant uh, discovered about every two weeks. Most of them are nothing, but all we need is another Omicron or another Delta that would actually take this off again. So the masking in particular to me seems crazy because it's how, how, how tough is it to wear a mask? Not tough. But my, my concern going forward is that we are going to be in this sort of bust and, and um, boom as far as the virus uh, for a while. Uh, and that's a big issue. Are you seeing this in Canada as well? Yes. Yeah, I, I did want to comment um, that uh, right across the board, uh, a lot of restrictions are now being loosened. Uh, gyms are going to be reopening. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's uh, in, almost in March 1st, I want to say March 1st. Uh, some travel restrictions are changing, mm -hmm. uh, which means I actually might be able to get on a plane you know, ah! and go to a conference I'm supposed to speak at. So, <laughs> um, 
and, and people could come here. So those kind of things, uh, restaurants are now going to full capacity again mm -hmm. uh, because the numbers are dropping so quickly. Um, and, and I think what's driving some of that <clears throat> is actually the protests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So right. it, you'll let, even though it's a small fringe group, they don't want it to pop up anywhere else. Yep. So provinces are lifting the restrictions, mm -hmm. you know, and which I'm, I can't say I agree with completely. Um, it's nice to see because maybe I could get out of the house. However, I'm not 100% behind that because yeah. I know now we're supporting some fringe group, you know, that could be putting us in further danger somewhere down the line. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that I, I really in closing for our time together. Uh, yeah. One minute left. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, I have no crystal ball that's going to say where we're going, but I would really encourage everyone to think about being smart um, about where they are, what's going on in their community, and just be aware so they're not caught off guard. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's going to be a different world. And I know we're going to talk about uh, some of that in uh, our next Regina's Roundup. Next month. Next month, month. yeah. So, uh, Regina, always great to talk to you. Um, it was finally nice to actually talk about something different other than COVID <laughs> you know, there at the beginning. You know, yeah. so hopefully we can do that again next month. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. It's always great to talk to you um, and uh, to everybody listening and watching. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.